Hey everyone, I'm Pastor Nick Tarter. I want to thank you for listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Bethany, Oklahoma, learning what it looks like to be in Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, so that our world can be saturated with the good news and the good works of Jesus. We invite you to join us on this journey, and we hope that this content will help you to grow to be the person God created you to be. So we're going back to Luke chapter 6, and we are going to sort of finish this section that we've been walking through on rest. Yes, we are. Thank, Susie's here to remind me uh, that we are taking an offering today. We should, we should take an offering. Um, we'll take an offering right after the, ser- right after the sermon. So, um, and, and you know what? This is the first time in a while we actually are going to take an offering in person. So that's, it's, it's easy to forget that because we've been doing it online. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so today I, I want to start us off with just throwing out the big idea for today's message. This is the primary thing that I think the Lord would like to, for us to to uh, to get at today, and that is, and, and, and by the way, I'm telling you at the very beginning, that way I don't forget to say it, it's really important, um, but Jesus' pattern of living shows us the key to great power and impact isn't working harder in our own strength, but it is resting in the Father and working from His strength. It's really important, uh, because I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you right now, I, I being a church leader, being someone who works with other church leaders and somebody who, who uh, spends a lot of time around church people, um, I wonder sometimes if we have forgotten that. I've been to a lot of conferences. I've been to a lot of seminars. And a lot of conferences and seminars that I go to, we talk about the nuts and bolts of doing ministry. And most of the time, what I hear is, hey, here's how you can hone your process so you can reach more people. Here's how you can do better. Here's some best practices. Here's how businesses are doing it. And, and I'm not saying that any of that is wrong. I believe in leadership principles. I believe in learning and, and growing in our style and the way that we do things. But, but here's the reality, church, the truth that I think Jesus would have us to get from watching his pattern. is we are not going to change the world by trying harder in our own strength. And by thinking that we can somehow do it better and we're going to reach the people. You guys remember the classic movie Field of Dreams? Uh, one, of the, one of the lines that everybody always remembers, if you build it, he will come. It's not they, by the way. That's a misquote. Because I believe, I believe, was it Jackie Robinson that he was talking about? If you build it, he will come. He was looking for Jackie Robinson. This whole idea is if you build this field, you know, the ghosts of these dead baseball players are going to start showing up. And I don't know about you guys, that would be a deterrent for me personally. I'm, I'm cool with ghosts not showing up anywhere near where I am, you know. Um, the only ghost I want dealings with is the Holy Ghost. Amen. I mean, that's it. Uh, but, but it's a great movie. And, and, but some of us in the church world, we live with that mentality. We think if we just, if we just build it, if we try harder and do more, people are going to show up. Church is going to be stronger. That's not necessarily the case. Last week I read you a quote from Dallas Willard. If you remember, one of the things that Dallas Willard wrote was that uh, he was actually quoting uh, um, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, who was a, a great Presbyterian pastor of the past, the 20th century. But uh, Boyce, 
once said, if we are doing all these things and we have more activities than we've ever had before and we're seeing more converts than we've ever had before and more baptisms and, and we're doing all these things and yet we lack the power. Something's missing. What is it that's missing? Because we could say that, couldn't we, today? I mean, I, uh, we could go look at the, uh, the statistics from the network of churches, uh, well, at least one of the networks of churches that we're a part of that's really big, and we could see numbers, we could see baptisms, we could see, uh, we could see people in the seats, maybe not for the last couple of months, but before that, and we could see, it, it seems like when you look at all those statistics, we see success, and yet the culture is less and less affected by the church in America today. Now, why is that? I think that's a question that we have to be asking. I've titled today's sermon, Prayer and Rest as Keys to Renewal. If we want to see the church renewed, if we want to see our culture transformed, we're going to see from the pattern of Jesus' life. Once again, it's not more of us doing, trying harder, finding new processes, implementing new strategies. It's about the pursuit of God. Let's peer into Jesus' life. And let's see what Jesus did in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Now, we've been establishing that the concept of Sabbath is, uh, is, is less about what we're ceasing from and more about who we're turning towards, right? That's true of many things in life, including repentance. We often focus on what we're repenting from, but God would have us to focus on who we're repenting towards. Because the closer we get to Jesus, the less our sin appeals to us. If I'm walking towards Christ, I'm wanting my sin less. But if I'm always focusing on my sin, then I'm going to have a really hard time getting over it, even if I'm trying really hard, because there's something about me that is tethered to this world, and I can't defeat it on my own. That's why I've got to get close to Jesus. And the same is true of Sabbath. Listen, Sabbath is about beholding God's glory. Sabbath is about, it's about beholding God's glory. I said that twice because it needs to be repeated. We need to know. Look, so, so oftentimes we think of Sabbath rest and we think, oh, I can't do a Sabbath. I have too much to do. I can't do a Sabbath because it's boring. I can't just stop. I remember that's my, that was my mindset when I was a kid. My mom and dad, who are sitting here this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them out a little bit today. When, when I was, there, there was a time, pretty sure that it was the preacher's fault. The preacher was preaching on the Ten Commandments or something and respecting the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And my, my parents said, we're going to start this Sabbath. And my mom and dad made us take naps on Sunday for a while. Can you believe that? They, they, they forced us to slow down. And I was a grown kid by that point. Grown kid, okay? I was like nine or something. Nine-year-olds don't take naps. I hear this in my own home, by the way. Uh, and, but, but you know what? My, my, my parents, they received some conviction from the Lord. And the reality is we have to stop and rest. We've been, we've been talking about that, haven't we? Now, What's so critical about this is if we're stopping to behold God, what one thing that we're also doing is we're admitting that the world doesn't revolve around us, aren't we? We're admitting that, that actually God is sovereign. He keeps this rock going, 
And it's not me and my labor and all those things, even though that's what we tend to think in our own minds, and that's sort of the way that we think as Americans. Well, if I stop working for a day, my business might collapse. Well, Chick-fil-A has already proved that wrong, so, you know, let's not go there. But, uh, and Hobby Lobby, too. But, you know, we, we act as if this world revolves around us. And Sabbath is our way of stopping to say, actually, no, this world is, it revolves around God and this world is about his glory, and we're going to stop to behold what he's done. And there's something powerful about that. Now, now here in Jesus' life, remember, this, this whole section starts out with Jesus talking about Sabbath, and how he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and how, how we're supposed to be doing good on the Sabbath. In fact, doing good is always in the cards. Anytime we do good, we're honoring God. That's what we talked about last week. And if we have the opportunity to do good and we don't do it, we're dishonoring him. But look what Jesus does. This, this ties in because, once again, this is about a pausing. Jesus was a very busy person. He was. The Apostle John tells us that if they would have written everything down that Jesus did, they wouldn't have been able to, to, there would be so many volumes, you wouldn't be able to keep up with it. That's what the Apostle John says. What we have written about Jesus' life is only a really small glimpse into what he did. Even just during the three and a half years of his ministry, not to mention the other years, Christ was busy. His schedule was full. Hundreds of people wanted to meet with him. He couldn't go somewhere without people trying to pin him down. There was work to do. But Jesus paused frequently. And look what he did during one of his most important times, starting in verse 12 in chapter 6. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. I feel like I need to read that again. Some, I, I imagine some of us are hearing this and we're, we're thinking, all night? I can barely get a 30-minute quiet time. Here, he, during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When, his daylight, or when daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose the 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon. He also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus. That's a cool name, Stacy. if we ever have another kid. Alphaeus, okay. Um, she loves it when I pick out Bible names. Yeah, she really does. Um, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So the focus here is not even so much on the disciples. That's not what we're focusing so much on today. I mean, it's cool that he chose the disciples and those guys went on to change the world, right? That's, now that's important. We do need to realize the, the, uh, the importance of this moment because those 11 disciples, 11 because Judas, guy, the guy was a mess, okay, um, but those 11 disciples would be the men who would go on to shape the very world that we're living in today. The world where Christianity has been such a powerful force for so long. It's pretty amazing because Jesus, okay, again, we've got to understand the gravity of this moment. I feel like we have to stop for a second and understand the gravity of this moment. Jesus was getting ready to choose the 11 men that he was going to rest his mantle on. 12, actually, but again, Judas, you know. He was picking the guys who he knew 
his power, his authority, his ministry was going to rest on these men. And then they were going to take it and they were going to disciple others so that the power and the way of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, would pass on down through the church till this very day when it rests upon us. Do you know that about yourself, by the way? The ministry of Jesus rests upon you. Did he not call all of us? In Matthew 28, he proclaimed the disciples were to replicate themselves in others. And they were replicas of Jesus. Pass it down to the next generation of believers and the next generation all the way down until today. His mantle is on us. Now we have different responsibilities to play in the body. Paul, Paul gives us some good explanations about that in 1 Corinthians. There are many parts, but one body. And sure, we do different things. Not everybody's a preacher or teacher. Not everybody's a prophet. Not everybody's an administrator. We all have we have different roles, but we work together to form one body. This is, this is such an important passage because we've got to realize what Jesus did before he made one of the most important decisions, well, 12 of the most important decisions he would ever make. He didn't go study more. He didn't go Google each of the apostles to find out if they were, like he didn't go do a background check or search their My Life profile or their Twitter they didn't have those things, but, but you get the idea. <clears throat> he, di he didn't go pull them aside and have an in-depth meeting with each one. He didn't go interview their parents, their friends, and find out, now, is this person really a person that I want to have on my team? That's not what he did. He went and he spent an entire night with the Father praying. Jesus ceased from his work. And he went to the Father to commune with the Father. I think we need to point something out that, that really fits the context of this whole thing. And, and, and Jesus is really showing us that Sabbath, in other words, stopping to rest and behold the Father, is not just a one-day-a-week sort of thing. It's actually a lifestyle that we learn. A lifestyle of perpetually and regularly pausing to be at rest in the Father and in his goodness. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews tells us that if Joshua had given the people the rest that they were looking for, there would be no need for another rest to come. Right? So the writer of Hebrews tells us essentially, listen, Joshua got them into the promised land, but that was not actually the final rest that God had in mind. There's a sense in which there is a sort of Sabbath rest that is never ending. A Sabbath rest that becomes a part of who we are. And that's not to say that we don't take a day to rest and relax, but even more so than that, we are living in a state of perpetual rest in Jesus. 
and, and yes, there's a sense in which we're living in that now, although um, it's a, maybe sometimes it doesn't feel like it. But what we're living in today is at least an echo of what's to come. But this rest that we're talking about is the rest in which we cease from striving to justify ourselves, from striving to make ourselves better or to do better or to be better, to make our lives matter in and of our own strength. We're ceasing from that because we have everything that we need in Christ. And understand that he was patterning that for us because Christ understood that he had all that he needed in the Father. So Christ could stop. He could cease from interviews or whatever, he, whatever we would do in order to prepare for picking our business successors or life successors or whatever it might be. Jesus knew that he could stop and he could go before the Father and he could trust the Father's wisdom and the Father's empowerment and the Father would give him everything that he needed in that moment. And that was his mindset. He understood he was already complete in the Father. He couldn't add anything to himself to make himself better. He was complete. He had all that he needed in the Father. Now, unlike our first father, Adam, we have to keep talking about this guy, Adam, because here's why. Uh, we're just like him, okay? We're just like our first father, Adam. Now, you may, you know, you may take issue with that, but the reality is we are. We, we, we look like him in many ways. Unlike our first father, Adam, instead of attempting to justify himself through works, Jesus rested in the Father and trusted that his justification, his righteousness, all those things were wrapped up in the Father. Christ's eternal position as the Son was a secure position, and he knew it. He could rest in the Father. He didn't have to work harder. He didn't have to do more. It's not to say that Jesus wasn't a hard worker. He was a hard worker. But we need to understand that Christ worked out of that sense of rest. He didn't work and then burn out and then rest. He was at rest in the Father, and then he worked from that sense of rest and security in the Father. That is really important for us to understand today. So to reiterate all this, before doing important kingdom work, Jesus paused to spend time with his Father. And he often did this, by the way. This is not just a one-off thing. It's not like, okay, I'm going to pick the disciples, so now I'm going to go pray all night. We see in John 6, 25... That's a really interesting one because he was really busy. He had fed some people. He had, uh, I mean, it was just, it was a wild time. You know, he had, he had fed, you know, the multitudes and, and he had done a ton of ministry. And right in the middle of this incredibly successful ministry time, Jesus is like, all right, that's it, I'm done. And he just walks away. <laughs> And he goes to rest. In fact, he sends his disciples across the, the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus, you know, you, you guys know the story. He walks to meet them. And they end up across together. And then the crowds go to the other side because they found out Jesus traveled. So they walk all the way across this big, massive lake as well, or around it. And they said, Master, when did you get here? But Jesus, even though he had all this work to do and all these people who were pining for his attention, you know what he said? He said, you know, the Father, my time with the Father is more important. Imagine that, because like, that's hard, I think, for us in, in our times to wrap our minds around. If, if I have someone's attention, you know, let's say, 
Imagine if you're a famous YouTube star or something. It's almost like we crave that kind of fame, and we crave that kind of, that, that, that kind of interaction with people in our culture today. It's hard for us to cease when we have someone's attention, and yet Jesus just dropped it all. He said, well, I got nothing left. I got to go be with my father. What was more important was not the work, it was the quality time with the father. We also see him do the exact same thing in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. In fact, Luke tells us he would frequently go away to pray and to be in solitude with his father. Mark 1.35, Matthew 14.22, these are all instances in Jesus' life where he ceased from work. And by the way, his work was better than ours. He was doing a good job. It's not like Jesus was doing bad things. It's not, you know, sometimes me, like I, I'm, I'm in the middle of a project and I'm like, this just isn't turning out very good. I have to leave. I got to stop doing this. I work on cars for fun. That's frustrating sometimes. Like, you know, I know some of you are like, why would you torture yourself like that? But I, more than once I've been working on a car and something has just stumped me or frustrated me. And I've just had to lay my tools down. And then I've had to just go inside and then call my friend Michael, who most of you guys know, who's a real mechanic, and be like, hey, dude, I think I broke something. Will you come fix it? You know, but, but it, it's frustrating at times. My, sometimes I cease because I've burnt out. Jesus Jesus was doing something good. He was not failing, but he stopped in the middle of it. And he says, I need time with the Father, time and time again. It's a pattern. And do you remember, we are called to be his disciples, and a disciple walks in the pattern of his master. And so what does that mean for us? If Jesus would cease from his work and go spend time with the Father in prayer and rest, how much more do we need that? I can promise you, we are not as good as he, as Jesus is. And if Jesus needed to stop and have time with the Father, how much more do we need to stop and have time with the Father? Jesus' biggest decision, as we've already established, was preceded by an entire night of prayer. I mean, this, this was the thing that shaped his ministry. It was a huge decision, and he chose to make it about prayer, you know, moving into that decision. But the second thing we see is that Jesus viewed prayer as critical to the task at hand. He, he knew that if he was going to change the world and if these disciples were going to do what the, the Father envisioned that they were going to do, that he would need the Father's wisdom and power. And they would need the Father's wisdom and power, and they needed to see him pursue the Father. But at the same time, he knew this whole thing needed to be bathed in prayer. Remember, the Apostle John tells us that Jesus lived saying that I, knew, I do nothing unless I see my Father doing it. Christ surely had the power within himself, right? But he chose not to live that way. He chose to put that part of himself aside and to live fully by the Holy Spirit, just like we do. And, and, and so he needed the Father's wisdom and power in that moment. He modeled for us what it looks like to be truly and fully human. He saw prayer as a critical, worthy endeavor and not as a time-consuming burden. I think that's how a lot of modern people view prayer. I think a lot of modern people, we see how busy we are and how much work we have to get done. We think, well, I can't stop and spend an extended amount of time in prayer because I have too much to do. 
But what we don't realize is one of the reasons why our works are so burdened is because we don't spend time in prayer. I love what Martin Luther used to say. He used to say, the more work I have to do, the busier my day, the more time I need in prayer in the morning. Luther would wake up often and spend two or three hours in prayer before he even went out to do his work. Because he understood something. He understood that if we're going to do a spiritual work, we better be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we had better have the Father's help and his presence in our lives. I think the reason why a lot of church leaders burn out in our day and the reason why a lot of church people burn out in our day is because we, we know what we're supposed to do. We know we're supposed to make disciples and we're supposed to do the things that Jesus did. But we just find it so hard and so draining because we're trying to do a spiritual work in the flesh. And then, of course, it's laborious. Of course, it's difficult. It doesn't come easy when we're living that way. It's like trying to cut a frozen piece of butter with a frozen knife. Trust me, it's a lot better to cut a warm piece of butter with a hot knife. And the closer you are to God's presence, the hotter your knife is. You see, the presence of God provides us with the power that we need to accomplish the task at hand. None of us can do it in our own strength. I'm, I'm very convinced, and I'm just sharing with you out of my own heart and my own desire for the church, and I'm, I'm not even saying just our church. I mean the church global, but, it's, but of course especially our church because this is where I serve, and, 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 and we are a family together in Christ. So I especially have this burden here, but, but, but I have this burden for the church in all of our state and all of our country and all over the world where it seems like there's a spiritual apathy. Because I'm, I'm convinced that one of the primary reasons that churches are struggling in our day to reach the world for Christ is that the average church member spends relatively little time communing with the Father. And, and I can tell you from my experience, that's often true of church leaders as well. And if it's true of leaders, it's even more so true of the people. Listen, I know a lot of pastors who the only time they ever crack open the Bible is to prepare for their sermon. It's not good. We're killing ourselves. We're spending everything that we have. God create God designed us to minister out of our overflow. But when we minister and we use all that we have, we just burn out. It's like trying to light a candle with no wick. And, and, and I want to point out that our level of spiritual strength is directly tied to our level of spiritual depth. We see that in Christ's life. He was diving in deep with the Father regularly. He wouldn't allow himself to burn out. And, and, and I feel like I have to stop and say here, because of the culture that we live in and how we've been trained, when I'm talking about spiritual depth, I'm not talking about how knowledgeable that we are. I'm not talking about how committed um, we are personally. 
I'm talking about how committed we are to the pursuit of God, not to our own things, not even to the pursuit of religion. Not how much of the Bible we know, although those things are important. But what we ultimately need is a passionate pursuit of God. Power does not come from how much we know as much as it comes from how close to God that we are. Power is about proximity to God. Power is, is about being in a place where we are so close to his presence that his power and his glory are transferred to us like Moses when he came off the mountain. I would love to be so full of the glory of God that people are freaked out when they look at me. Wouldn't that be so, like awesome, you know? Like, God wants us to be weird. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to be so full of his presence that our wisdom doesn't match up with the worldly wisdom. The way we think about things doesn't match up because the way of God is so contrary to the way of this world. The world has gone after our first father, Adam. We are called to return to God through our new Adam, who is Christ. So we're taking on a new way of life. In Jesus. And it's about proximity to the Father. God wants us to draw near to him. And some, some view this as God being so, like self-serving or needy, but that's not the case at all. Because God doesn't need us to draw near to him to feel satisfied. Look, God is perfectly content in himself just as he is. But he knows that we are designed to be near from him. And to the extent that we are near or that we are separated from him, we will be miserable. If he gave us all the power that we desire without proximity to him, it would leave us empty. It would leave us lonely. And the result would always be disaster. We would be permanently kept in Adam's pathway. Our ultimate problem is self-centeredness. We think it's all about us. The last thing we need is for God to let us think that it's about us. So really, humility is good for us. And learning that our power is from God is good for us. His presence is the greatest gift that he could give to us. And that's why he continuous, continuously calls us back to himself. Repentance is for our good. Returning to God is for our good. Learning to live not out of our own strength, but out of his strength. It's for our own good because all of it brings us back to the Father. As soon as Adam reached out for that fruit and took it, everything went haywire. And it's never been right ever since. God knows the only way for, for us to live, the, the way that he designed us to live and for us to be satisfied and happy and full of joy is if we are in his presence. The last observation I, I saw here is that Jesus was filled and empowered through prayer. Prayer for Jesus was not just something he did on the side. It wasn't something that he thought of flippantly. It was critical. Because in prayer, Jesus received the power from the Father to do what he was called to do. He emptied his schedule of anything but communion with the Father for that time when he would go and pray. 
so that he could be full of the presence of the Father. I find this to be a struggle personally. I don't know about you guys, but like, <laughs> I like to read my Bible on my phone or on my computer. I have a Bible study software, and, and like, I just noticed this. Like, I'm on my computer and I'm studying and I'm praying and I'm trying to just meditate on the Word, and iMessages are popping up. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm preaching from paper today. I'm just like, I just like, I'm kind of over it right now. I just need, I just need to focus on what God has in front of me. Technology is so distracting at times. Like I have a paper Bible today, you know, Uh, I'm just, I'm all paper right now because I just want to be focused on what the father wanted me to say this morning. And, and like, and we've got to find time to put all of our distractions aside and focus on the father. Jesus emptied his schedule so he could spend time with the Father. Now, I have a question. Like, what, what does it look like for you? And, and here we've had a, a time of pause. We've been talking about this. God has given us this moment that we've called a Selah moment, a Selah moment, a, a pausing to focus on God. It's been forced upon many of us. Unless you're an essential worker, right? Right, Kim? You still have had to work the normal hours. But, but you know, like, for a lot of us, yeah, I mean, for a lot of us, we've, we've had a forced pause on our lives. But I want to ask a question about that. What about us? COVID-19 has emptied our lives. It has. It's taken away our hobby. For some of us, it's taken away our work. It's taken away Frontier City. I'm frustrated about that. Okay. Uh, It's taken away so many things from us during this time. But I want to ask, how have we refilled the time? Have we refilled the time with the pursuit of God? What have we filled our lives with? Christ emptied his schedule so that he could fill it with the Father. We've been emptied. What are we filling ourselves with? I, I've had this concern, this word that's kept coming into my mind, and that's that, that, that we Americans and, and we in the church even, we've gotten to know Joe Exotic more during this COVID-19 pause. Some people haven't seen Tiger King, but others have. I haven't actually watched it, but I know about it because all my friends are talking about it. Um, we've gotten to know Michael Jordan more. Now, that's more along my lines, you know, The Last Dance, and I'm a Jordan fan, you know. Um, in fact, I believe if you wear Jordan Nikes, you're probably going to run faster. But anyway, um, there, there's, but, but have we gotten to know Jesus more? Have we gotten to know Jesus more? Man, have we? Can we ask that question honestly of ourselves? Because I I think that what God is calling us back to is a life of contending for the gospel in our own hearts by clearing ourselves of the things that keep us from the Father and being intentional about spending time with the Father just like Jesus did. We would do well to fill our lives with prayer just like Jesus did. But my concern is that so few professing Christians are actually doing that. And I, and I don't want this to come across as some judgmental, like the preacher's throwing flames. Because I wrestle with this too. I'm an American. I'm a millennial, guys. I mean, like, I literally have my phone in my pocket or in my hand at all times. I am a millennial. I'll admit it right now. You know, I used to make fun of millennials, and then I realized I was one. Um, so anyway, you know, I'm just barely in there. Uh, but... But I'm in. You know, so we, I struggle with this too. I struggle to pause. I struggle to take my life and strip it down. There have been a lot of days throughout this COVID-19 thing where the Lord's been like, hey, um, I would love to talk to you, but you're still on YouTube. (laughs) And I've had to be like, okay, 
maybe I need to get my Bible instead of my phone. You know, and, and, and there's just been this whole, it's, it's, it's reality. We all fight with distractions. America, we've got to be the most ADD culture in the entire world. We struggle to focus. But the Father is calling us to make walking with him our pursuit. Not something that we sort of stumble into or do flippantly or on the side or like as a hobby or extracurricular, but to make the pursuit of God actually the primary thing in our lives. Just as Jesus modeled for us. It's, it's no wonder that so many of us are feeling powerless in our spiritual lives. It's because we're not plugged into the Father, and so we don't have the power source, and we're not full of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, but having the Holy Spirit and living full of the Holy Spirit are actually to- totally different things. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Not every Christian lives their life full of the Holy Spirit. But God wants us to be full of the Holy Spirit, and that is actually our birthright in Christ. If we don't have it, it's because we're not pursuing him. I would just encourage us. Let's pursue him together. I'm gonna, not going to do the entire second page of notes that I have here. Um, but, but I do feel compelled to say this. Satan's greatest lie, which most of the American church, much of the American church at least, has bought into, is that we can produce enough of an experience in our own strength so that we don't need to pursue God for his power. And, and then we become so ineffective. Now, now listen, I want to encourage you with this word from Romans chapter 9. Here's what Paul wrote in Romans 9 verses 30 and 32. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness obtained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, even though pursuing a law of righteousness, did not attain it. Why not? Because they pursued it, not by faith, but as if it were possible by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. You know, we, we, we in the church, we struggle with the same problem Israel struggled with. We get to thinking that it's about us and about producing out of our own strength. And that somehow maybe we even think we're impressing God by being such righteous little children And then before you know it, we're doing all these works for our own glory, and we forgot about the Father. And and, and we actually find ourselves stumbling over Christ instead of trusting in him. But again, Jesus gives us a better example, one of trust, one of faith, one of laying down in order to rest in the Father. So, so maybe we've gotten it into our heads that the strength is within us. Maybe we've gotten it in our heads that we've got to do better, to be more, get the right kind of Nikes. I don't know what it is. Jesus, the greatest human who ever lived, had a completely different philosophy of life. And by the way, he's calling you and I into that philosophy. He knew that the strength was in God. He didn't need to do better because God was, all, God was great. And greatness was already with God. And if God was in him, that greatness was in him and would be worked out through him. He knew that he didn't need to uh, do more because God was already good. And, And how could anyone possibly add anything to God's goodness? And then if God was in him, he had everything that he ever needed in God. Christ knew that. And remember, he was a man. 
Just as much as he was God, he was a man. Intentionally, he lived as a man so we could see what it looks like. Jesus knew that to the extent that he was at rest in the Father, he was powerful and that he would have all the power he would ever need to accomplish any task. He could not fail in that context as long as he was living in the Father's will with the Father's presence. Jesus, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, has freed us to return to that proper mindset regarding life. And I want to read one more scripture. This is out of Romans 8, 5, but this is an important one. For those who live according to the flesh have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. What are we being more influenced by? Like today, where are you at? You know, those of us who are here in the room, those of us who are watching online, where are you today? What is shaping your outlook more? Is it the Father and time with the Father and His presence? Or is it the world and you've got to be better and do more? <laughs> Christ would bid us and beckon us to stop to pause our heart, to turn ourselves back towards him, and to pursue him through prayer. Because as we said at the very beginning of all of this, Jesus' pattern of living shows us that the key to great power and impact isn't working harder in our own strength, but it's resting in the Father and working from his strength. But you cannot be strengthened by the Father if you aren't spending time with the Father. And so that's the encouragement today. If we want to see this spiritual renewal, if we want to see the power of the kingdom expressed in our own lives and through us into the lives of others, the key is we have to pray. We have to spend time with the Father. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you, or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.